out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show. Once again, another show, another archive. Yes, I've been delving deep. This is me in conversation with Colin Bluntstone from The Zombies. Uh, they were about to come to Norwich. Um, I think it was, God knows what year it was anyway. Um, and this is the interview. I edited the first bit because we were just waffling on about nothing. And um, I find that quite interesting. Um, and then I started to talk about uh, the 1968 album, Odyssey and Oracle, and uh, a sort of a documentary I'd just seen on telly. And I was just wondering... How that felt? Did it feel strange to Colin? And this was his reply. Colin, over to you. Well, it, it does sometimes, but it's something that we do with uh, media interviews sort of quite often. But it does, every time we do it, it does feel a bit strange because we were, um, I think we were just in our early 20s when we made that album. It's called Odyssey and Oracle. And... Um, People love to talk about that whole era, the 60s, you know, they love to talk about that. And of course, we were one of the first bands to go over with the British invasion to America. And again, that was a very special time. So there's lots to talk about. But of course, I've lived a whole life since then. Yes. In some ways, it's. I remember vividly some of it. Yes. But some of it's starting to get a bit blurred. Well, I would imagine, actually. Well, I suppose, um, you know, I did an interview uh, a couple of weeks ago with Jim uh, McCartney from um, the uh, the, the Yardbirds. And uh, yes, and again, you know, he's still five decades later, he's still sort of rocking and he's got a solo album and a solo tour coming out and he still plays with the zombies. And, and obviously, you know, having spoken to him, you know, there was that kind of that very good little clip where they had Mick Jagger probably in about 65 where he's just saying, well, we might do it for two more years and then that will probably be the end of it. So obviously, and we as as people, you know, watching it, punters and fans kind of all chuckle because obviously at the time no one realised how far it was going to go because you were sort of like the first people, not on the moon, but in the first people of rock and roll really, wasn't it? Well, in a way we were. We were sort of making the rules as... Um and I'm not saying particularly the zombies were, but that the musicians of that era were making the rules, um, and making the rules up as they went along. And I also thought that it would possibly last for a couple of years. I thought this is what a wonderful adventure. Um, probably last two or three years. I'm travelling around the world with my with my mates, playing the music I love. What what could be better? I thought it'd be fantastic. Yes. And now here we are, 50-something years later, and I, I just think I'm incredibly privileged, actually, that I've got this, these opportunities at this time in my life to still be out there touring. I think it's, it's just fantastic. Totally unexpected. Yes. Even I, mean, I started seriously touring again about 20 years ago. It was about 97, I think, I started touring seriously again. And I, I thought that there wouldn't be an appetite for, you know, my kind of music or the zombies kind of music. I was really, really surprised the interest there was on a worldwide level. It's not just in the UK. And I think that's really important because the UK is a comparatively small country. 
it's difficult to just work in the UK. You have to have other markets to go to. Um, otherwise, the public will tire of you. And um, the zombies are able to plague from Scandinavia all the way through Europe to the Far East. And, of course, America is a huge country. And we tend to go there and two or three times a year in America. And I literally got back yesterday from the last zombies tour and went, it went extremely well. And um, we, took over, we, we took in most of the, the eastern side of the country, starting in New York and ending up down in Atlanta and then going across to Nashville and up to Chicago and then back to the northeast again. Well, that's Great impressive. Fun. Yeah. Really good. Well, that is very impressive because, because I speak, um, I speak to a lot of bands from the sort of eighties. I suppose I was, you know, of that age who were, were obsessed with the eighties indie scene because that was kind of, you know, the, those growing years where you, you know, one played music all the time and and records all meant so much. And it was interesting interviewing a lot of those bands. Um, from the last couple of years, because every you know I real, didn't realise this quite at the time, um, but I've come to appreciate now that most bands have this five-year kind of narrative, where, you know, where they get together, they make a bit of a sound, kind of surprise themselves that you know people are more interested than just their mates and the local pub club. Um, they do a sort of a single that you know in those days it would get played on John Peel. Then they did the an album, you know, that went well. And then there was pro- and then things start getting a bit tricky with the second album. And it was interesting because any you know, people saying if any, you know, tour in America was a thing that really destroyed those particular bands. So you you've obviously sort of managed to sort of work out how to do America without it uh, making you go gaga. Absolutely. I mean I, I can remember saying in an interview, you know, in, in my twenties that what I would really like is to be able to work in the music business as a, as a touring artist without having to rely on my last hit record. It's such a pressure when record companies are asking you to come up constantly with hit singles. And it's, it's quite a complicated business how you have a hit single because you need the media behind you, you need radio behind you, you need so many things to be just right to get a hit record. But I think in a way, and I've only just realized this recently, in a way, the Zombies, and to some extent, my solo band, we've achieved that. You know, we don't have hit records uh, in particular, not not huge top ten singles anyway. Um, and yet we can still um, attract an audience um, who want to come and hear a, a committed band, who you know, who give it everything they've got every night they play. And of course they've got this very rich history um, of hits from the 60s, 70s, and, and with the solo band, um, a few hits in the 80s as well. So I've, in a way, I've got my wish that I'm able to tour, but I don't have to rely on constantly having hit records. Yes, that is quite that is quite interesting because because I think that's the thing that you know trying to come up with some something as as ephemeral as creativity is not quite the same as just kind of putting in a shift at at you know at work on in a factory or in the office you know it's kind of different thing and and things have to line up a bit like the stars have to be in the right place and the one I thing know, that... they really do <laughs> you know because you can write and and record a, a wonderful song and. It can just be the wrong time or the record company is going through a difficult time. There's so many things that can go wrong. And um, that song that you thought was a cert hit suddenly, you know, is 
um, it's just part of history. Well, it's a kind of a delightful kind of moment. I don't know if you've ever listened to it, but there's that clip that um, is probably on YouTube or some other place where the trogs are in the studio and they're trying to sort of record some session. <laughs> and, and, uh, he, and he keeps shouting, we've got to sprinkle some fairy dust on it, obviously using a lot worse language, uh, quite a lot of strong language. And it was kind of a classic, this, uh, this idea of fairy dust and, and trying to get this sand and, and you know, it was. It's a great insight into the problem and the create. You know, not the problem, but the the kind of trying, like you said, to create that something that is a bit more than just kind of the bog standard. I suppose it's this bog standard pub bands that we've all seen, and you think, you know, there is that little. I suppose almost like Spinal Tap, that little sort of switch, isn't it? Where you know you go from from a pub band to, oh my god, that's actually worth playing on the radio, and you're going to appeal to somebody other than your closest friend and your partner. Absolutely, but I, I think that there's another way of looking at it. And really, we've we've used this approach right from the beginning. Um, I made my first record with the Zombies when I was 18, and we always talked about trying to make the best records we could, not the most commercial records. It's just a slightly different way of looking at it. We're trying to make the best records we possibly can, the the best songs and the best performance, and. If it means something to us, we would argue that there's a chance it's going to mean something to someone else. Because when you try and make something that's commercial, it's, you know, it's such a, you know, the music, music business is so faddish that what you're making now, if you're trying to um, recreate something that's in the charts now, it's, it's going to be old hat by the time it actually gets into the shops. So I think it's... Um, it might work for some people, but it's never worked for me or for the zombies. We've always tried to make the best records we possibly can. Yes. Well, there's, there's three artists that come to mind who have kind of followed their career and um, and have been <laughs> borderline obsessed with, and that's kind of Neil Young, David Bowie, and I suppose Lemmy from Motorhead, and obviously two of those have now passed away. But they, A, they sort of stayed in the music you know, business world, creativity, but they didn't sort of go and have a break particularly. Well, David Bowie did slightly, but anyway, that's a different, slightly different thing. But it was interesting in the sense that I think most of them just stuck to what they wanted to do and didn't, like you said, follow the fashion. Because I think a lot of artists, and I realise this is actually what happened to a few people in the 80s, the, the established artists did try to, um, I suppose, follow what the trend was. And there was people like Rod Stewart and possibly Phil Collins who did it quite well. And actually David Bowie did slightly kind of come a cropper because he did a couple of albums which did sound like he was kind of following rather than leading. And, and you know, in a way, I think he omitted it himself eventually. So it is interesting, that thing, that it's just best to not worry about the record sales and just decide to follow your muse, as uh, Neil Young used to say. Well, I think it's, I think it's the best way to, to stay in the music business. Um, it, because no one knows what commercial is. But, but, of course, the problem is when you're coming into the business and, you know, and you're in your teens or early 20s, you'll get a record company that will pressure you and will try and tell you what to do or what direction to go in. I mean, they might be quite specific about what they want. They might give you the song and say, this is your next record. And it's, it's um, a very difficult situation because it could be that you either have to do what, exactly what they say or you're out of the business. So it's not, it's not just battling with your conscience. 
it's it's sometimes quite serious decisions have to be made but luckily i've always managed to avoid those kind of situations yeah because because one thing the other thing that i noticed and from doing these you know a lot of interviews with the indie bands is that their first record was often on a very small label which they quite enjoyed and then the success meant that they got slightly tempted and signed with a major for various reasons because often the the, the original small label just you know didn't have the resources and that's when you know suddenly they were told oh you're going to have to have this producer oh by the way we want this sort of cover we want this sort of sound and that's often another reason where the second album becomes really problematic and is the is the death of the band so yes did you experience that as well you know sort of this this kind of battling with the admin and the management well absolutely you know when i was in my 20s and maybe even early 30s there were lots of battles another thing i just mentioned is that if you sign to a big label you can sign to a very enthusiastic a and r person or you know maybe the managing director is very keen on you but people tend to move on in the music business and you've just signed a five-year deal and you find in six months time all those people that were keen on your band they've all gone and um, then the, the new lot are not interested in you at all and and you can get very stuck like that but sure now i funnily enough i was just thinking about something i was on um cbs records in the early 70s and i had two or three quite big hits with them, and I didn't have a manager. And they were constantly suggesting that I should have a manager, and in particular, to help me break America. And I did eventually sign with a very successful manager um, who had just had a lot of success in America. And the first thing he'd said to me after I signed with him was, we've got to get you out of CBS. So... CBS were pressuring me to get a manager. I get a manager, and the first thing he said to me was, "We've got to get you out of CBS," and that led to so many, so many problems. I can't tell you. Um, there was all sorts of people breaking parts of contract, and then there was a lawsuit, and suddenly I'm not a singer anymore. I'm not a singer-songwriter. I'm trying to look up the law, and I'm spending hours talking to lawyers and. Um, there can be terrible pressures that are put on you. Absolutely. Yes, I know, because um, that's interesting you said that, because uh, um, a lead singer from a band, Steve Mack, who was in that petrol emotion, got signed by somebody and they were all really happy, and then that person suddenly went, I'm really sorry, but Paul McCartney's just been on the phone and he's offered me a position in this company and I kind of have to take it, I'm afraid. You know, you don't get Paul McCartney, you know, asking twice. And, and the new management came along and, um, yes, they, they, their problems were really starting to multiply. So, yeah, trying to, to, you know. I mean, obviously there was, you know, it's kind of interesting. There's quite a few points because there's one thing, you know, like with bands and music. And, and the inter- interesting thing is like the legacy of music now. And um, I've been to quite a few of these kind of, I suppose, musicals. Like there was one on The King's Sunny Afternoon. I went to see Carol King and there's also Meat Live doing Bat Out of Hell, you know, Jim Simon stuff. So it's interesting how music is being 
kind of preserved in a way the baton gets passed on you know there isn't just kind of people performing it but people's songs are sort of getting a different interpretation and a slightly different medium as well so you must be quite excited to see you know that music you did you know back in the 60s is still as keenly received you know 50 years later well absolutely i think it's quite funny um the the zombies material a lot of it it does unmistakably sound of the 60s, but also there's a timeless feel in a lot of the songs and records that we were involved in. And, you know, we find we do still get radio play, we still get commercials. Zombie music is in films quite a lot, actually, yes. um, uh, many films. Um, and um, so it, it still does seem to be a relevance with with what we did all those years ago. Um, Eminem just uh, took a song called Time of the Season and he changed the lyric on it, but he sampled our record. So there we are on a, an Eminem album, although he, he's made it into a different song. The basis of that song is a record that we recorded in 1967. Wow. So it's, it's nice to, to get these, these, these kind of recognitions. And Chanel did um, a commercial that was used worldwide of She's Not There, Zombies, She's Not There, which again, it gives you a whole new, new audience because it's, it's a bit strange, this, but if you get uh, especially a prestige worldwide commercial that's on TV, film, everything, people kind of think that that's a hit all over again because it gets into their subconscious. And it's the same with if you're in a big, if music's in a big film, it can help you actually to have a hit record. But if even if it's not a hit record, people tend to th that just in their subconscious they think you've had a hit record, and that's where the zombies have been really fortunate because we, you know, we just keep picking up uh, commercials and films, and uh, it helps just helps to create um, a better profile for the band. Yes, and it is. You know, all that kind of thing is important because you need to get um, an audience of a certain size to be able to tour. Otherwise, the finances just don't work out, and you can't tour. So you do have to be aware of things like that. Yes, and what would you say to your, you know, if you bumped into your eighteen-year-old self backstage, or you just saw some young kid starting out? What would, what advice would you sort of just give them? You know, if you were just kind of having a quick word. Well, if it was my 18-year-old self, I would say just be aware that this can be a lifetime's career if you want it to be. And if you do want it to be, you might have to take it a little bit more seriously than you are because um, at 18, I just thought this was a wonderful adventure and just great fun. And um, I think that things could have been uh, slightly different if I'd known that I would still be touring 50 years later. I don't know what I'd say to an 18-year-old musician now coming into the music business, because it's changed so much, and it's changing week by week. It's, it's, I think it's a lot tougher now for people coming into the business, and uh, it would be hard for me to advise. I mean, I've heard of actors, that, and I think musicians, who have said to young people coming into the business, if you can think of anything else to do, but at all, go and do it. Because 
it is there is an, a side of the music business and as I said acting that is really tough and you're going to spend I always say it's peaks and troughs and there's going to be quite a few um, troughs in your life as if you spend a lifetime in the music business and you've got to be relatively tough to get through those periods um, so I, you know, I would say to someone just be aware this is quite a tough business and you've got to be committed if you want to have a lifetime's career in it yes well yes I've, I've sort of come to realize that uh, you know you think I suppose it's like one of those things like footballers or you know playing football or sort of being a musician would be the dream job and then you think oh really that's that sounds like an idea of you know it could be hell as well as kind of occasional heaven I think with a lot of people it's interesting with touring because they've also said you know that one and a half hours on stage is absolutely fantastic but the rest of the day can leave one feeling completely zonked and, and confused where you are and where you, you know what city you're in so it's kind of interesting the the kind of that those absolute peaks and the adrenaline rush and then the sort of absolutely the other side which is kind of the boredom and the the irritation and also the dynamic with each other and and various people around you including your your closest mates that you probably grow to you know kind of I don't know I wouldn't say hate but you probably grow to sort of want to have a bit of a sort of bit of space from each other well it can get like that I mean there is an intensity in touring that can affect people and it's one of the good things that if you've been doing it for a long time you you kind of learn how to get around that a little bit you know you're going to need some time on your own and everyone else in the band knows that as well so we we don't live in one another's pockets you know um I think it, I, what intrigues me is how tiring traveling is, you know, especially, say, in somewhere like America or a country where the distances are huge. Um, we do fly sometimes uh, on internal flights, but quite honestly, it's such a palaver getting to the airport, getting through security, getting on a plane and then the, getting to the gig at the other end. It's often easier just to go in the bus. Um, and I've never quite worked out you know, I'm not driving. Why is it so tiring <laughs> to travel for four or five hours in a in a bus? And uh, and sometimes it's a lot longer. We did um, a, a twelve hour drive on this last trip in America, and you you get off the bus at the end of that, and you are absolutely exhausted. And I don't know why. You've only just been sitting there. Really. <laughs> but no, that I... side of it is is quite draining. But obviously, if you like performing the hour and a half or two hours that you're on stage is, is quite magical. It is. I always find, because I find you know, travelling, you know, even just an hour to see, you know, my parents can be kind of, you know, by the time I get home, I always feel a bit zonked. And also the funny thing is I always sort of resort to eating really, you know, like junk food if I have to have long, a long journey to somehow give myself some sort of comfort, you know, it's like crisps, chocolate, yeah. you know, and, and sort of I don't know, energy drinks, which is like I would never do that at home. You've got to try and be really careful and, and you've got limited options often on the road. You can only eat, you know, what they've got wherever you are at that time. <laughs> But it really does pay to be careful, to look after yourself, um, to eat well, not overdo things. I mean, I can remember that I used to, I think subconsciously, I used to think that the evening, when I was in my teens or in my 20s, I used to think the evening began when the show ended. You know, was there a party we can go to somewhere? Can we go and do something? But now with bands, there's an absolute stampede to get back to the hotel. <laughs> 
to get to bed to go to sleep because we know we've got to do it all again the next day. So your sort of um, your focus for the evening has slightly changed as you get older, and the, the, the focus is very much on the performance. And then you just want to get home and get to bed, you know. Absolutely. And actually, it's interesting because I, I interviewed Nils Lofgren last week because he's coming to the um, to Norwich in May. And actually, it was quite interesting because he said that he suffers now from homesickness. He just doesn't like to be away for that that amount of time because he just misses his family and his dog and his home. So, tra- you know, travelling, you know, again, is, is not the easy thing that we imagine. You know, he, he, you know, he quite likes, likes the UK because it's kind of quite contained little space almost. So he can go around on mm. the bus, you know, keep on a bus, go around, does his dates, get up and get home after about 15, 20 days. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because you think, oh, right, OK, you know, I, I sometimes also feel like that. But then, you know, I'm not, a, I'm, not, I'm not somebody who's been on stage for the last, you know, 40 plus years with some of the biggest acts in the world. So it's interesting when Nils mentioned his, his kind of homesickness as well. Well, I, I think a lot of uh, performers are like that. And we've tried to limit our tours to six weeks at the longest. And this, this last tour we just did was actually four weeks. But I was really ready to come home after four weeks you know I, I, I felt it's time to come home but um, we have said in just a rough way that we don't really want to go from certainly more than six weeks and last year we did do one that was eight weeks and you know I was just screaming at the end of it I just desperately wanted to get home um, because we've all got families it's, it's a different thing when if you're a teenager you're in your 20s it's a totally different thing but um when you're in the, as I like to call it, the autumn of your career, um, you have got family and um, you've got roots and, and you you don't like to be away from home for too long. Yes, you have a garden to sort of go and check up on. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm looking out at my garden now and thinking <laughs> how much needed to be done because I've been away for weeks and it's, it's just starting to grow now. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, we've got to get out there well look thank you ever so much uh, for giving me the time for that um, Colin that's just been amazing and I know you've got an interview actually in about a few more minutes so hopefully you'll get totally different questions but (laughs) (laughs) we don't worry if I get the same questions I'll give them different answers it helps break up the day yeah Um, (laughs) I know it must be great it's been great great talking to you okay so much and yes we'll hopefully uh, see you in Norwich land very soon I'm really looking forward to that. I, I love Norwich. I've been there quite a few times, and I've got friends up. Well, I've got family up in Norfolk, actually. My wife comes from Norfolk, and so all her family are up there. So I always enjoy going to Norfolk, and in particular Norwich, which is a beautiful city. So I'm looking forward to it. Yes. I think it'll be a great evening. I think it's, you know, I think people really appreciate it, you know, when they've done big tours and you have to fly and you have to do the airport and you have to have your sort of, you know, shoes removed and then put on your belt, you get your water confiscated. I think it kind of can probably make you sort of go a little bit doolally, whereas I think popping around the UK and sort of having an afternoon in Norwich, which is a kind of nice place with lots of, you know, cathedrals and castles is is quite quaint, really. So, um, yes, it, it probably feels quite relaxed. Yeah, it's not as as tough and as as wearing as sort of five and eight hundred mile drives you know everyone's hanging on by their fingernails by the time you've got to the end of a drive like that it's not as if you're in a 
a, a luxury sports car or something, you know, you're you're on a bus, which can often be a bit more like a truck, really, and you're you're being uh, knocked about. And however luxuriously it's been done up, you're still being sort of knocked about, and um, it's it's such a relief to get to the end of some of those journeys. Absolutely. Look, thank you, Colin, and um, I'll let you get yeah. on. And um, have a great afternoon, well, yeah, evening anyway, when all these are done. And um, hopefully see you in Norwich. Okie dokie. Thanks ever so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. And that was me in conversation with Colin Bluntstone, the um, vocalist songwriter with the zombies that was a few years ago just before they came to Norwich this has been David Esau this has been the C86 show if you want to contact me you can via Facebook Twitter Instagram just go to at C86 show and there's places that you can just send a message and say yo or something like that I don't know what do old people say young people I don't know we just mimic the young don't we um but just keep it positive and groovy otherwise you know don't bother listening to it, really. That was my advice. Um, and also, all these shows have been archived. You can find those on Podbean, which I like. Spotify, I like that. iTunes, I have no idea. And Mixcloud, when I can get round to it. So um, find them. There are interviews with a lot of 80s indie bands, but there's also a few with, um, you know, old oldies but goldies, as we like to say. Anyway, have a great week.